Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What Are You Talking About? Just a reminder, this is a bonus edition, our third bonus edition, focusing on the March Madness Tournament. If you want to start at the beginning, go check out our Selection Sunday episode and our post-first round episode that previews the games that we're about to talk about. But this third bonus edition of What Are You Talking About? is all about the Sweet 16 and Elite 8. And Chris, I'd say uh, the Elite 8 was probably the the highlight of the tournament so far. And I know you're really excited to talk about, so I'm just going to forward it right to you. This weekend of sports, I'd have to rack my brain to think of a weekend that tops it, to tell you the truth. Well, certainly rack my brain to think of an Elite Eight that topped the four games we had this weekend. As a sports fan with no real team in the race because Ohio State wasn't in it, I... Just completely enjoyed watching all four of those games. And even if you are a fan of the losing team, I hope that with some perspective, you can look back and realize that this weekend was amazing for college basketball. This weekend was just one of those weekends that as a sports fan, you just, this is why you watch sports for games like this. And not just one game. It was all four of them, really. Even though the weakest one was still... Hotly contested, down to the wire, intense. Honestly, all four teams that lost, I think, could have won the national championship. That's how good they played this weekend. I don't think any team really lost a game this weekend. I just think the other team played a little bit better. It was an unbelievable weekend for basketball and and unbelievable for slate of games. And I, I was just going nuts the whole time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think every game, whichever way it it fell on, there was a guy that stepped up for each team and made spectacular plays down the stretch. And the four teams that won, they're just a little bit better. And I think to add to that, you know, this is the first time in the tournament Kentucky showed weaknesses and showed vulnerability. And that's what made it so great is that, you know, nobody was safe. We finally saw the madness ensue and like an actual threat to Kentucky's season. I think that's what kind of pushed it over the top for me from a great weekend as we expect from the Sweet 16 and Elite 8 to what was a fantastic weekend and like great theater for all four of those Elite 8 games. Certainly, we can talk about what the Notre Dame game means for Kentucky's future because I think that it showed some potentially dangerous uh, things that the Wildcats could encounter in the Final Four or the National Championship game. But before we get to that, let's talk about what was probably the game of the weekend and arguably the game of the season yeah. in Kentucky-Notre Dame. I mean, this baby had it all. And a side note, I want to give a big shout out to the Illyria Chronicle Telegram, the newspaper I freelance for, for letting me cover both sessions of the Cleveland Regional. So I got to cover this game and and sit right up there and see the whole action unfold. And let me tell you, the arena was amazing. The game was fantastic. It had everything you could want. You had the juggernaut Kentucky undefeated trying to chase down perfection and Notre Dame undersized and their four guards with not much presence inside spacing the floor exceptionally well and and when we talked last week we said that if Notre Dame's going to win if Kentucky's going to lose they're going to run into a team that gets hot from three and the Irish could have done that 
but they were only 4 of 14 from three-point range. Their season average were eight makes per game and 20 attempts, Mm -hmm. so well below what they normally do. But that spacing, their four guards spacing the floor, allowed them to get easy looks at the rim. They were attacking the big, long Kentucky front line and were as unafraid. They got more offensive rebounds than Kentucky, 13 to 10. Yep. And Zach August was amazing. Six offensive rebounds, most of them putbacks, 20 points. But at the end of the day, it wasn't enough. Kentucky just made the big plays down the stretch and, and really escaped with a win, 68 to 66. And But Notre Dame played as good as you could have expected from them. They were fantastic. Definitely. I think it was the five-minute mark when Kentucky was down five, and that's when just watching the game, I don't know if what, what you felt at the stadium, but that's when I felt the, the pressure mount up. And I've seen this a couple of times with Kentucky where all of a sudden a switch flips and it's like, all right, they're down, but they're not losing this game. And I started to get that sense of dread in the back of my mind that they're going to come back and pull it out. But Notre Dame did not let them do that. And every time you thought Kentucky was about to pull away or pull ahead, uh, they just came up with a three or they got a rebound or they got a, a steal and, and they kept it close. And, you know, kudos to them for trying all the way to the last second, but yeah, I don't know how Kentucky pulled that one out, and they are very lucky to still be in the tournament. Well, well, I can tell you how they pulled it out. They got the break, and that's a tennis term, a break of serve. They were tied at 66, and Notre Dame had first crack at it with less than a minute left. And then Willie Cauley-Stein, who I believe should go in the top five in the NBA draft, was guarding a guard on the perimeter and blocked a three-point shot. Forcing right. Notre Dame to inbound the bat ball with one second left on the shot clock. That stop to me was huge because it kept it tied at 66 and allowed them to go down and draw what was a foul. It was clearly a foul. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Sink two free throws and end the game. But truth be told, if there were 10 more seconds on the clock and it was a 16-second possession instead of six, Notre Dame may have won the game. That's how close that game was. It really got to the point where whoever had the ball last was going to win. But that possession sort of broke the serve and gave Kentucky a chance to take the lead. So they won on defense. And what you said earlier about them uh, hunkering down in the last five minutes, that's what impressed me the most about Kentucky because they were – being pushed around, they were taking Notre Dame's best shot the entire game. It felt as if the Irish were going to pull the upset, but Kentucky just didn't give up. And I know this is about to sound cheesy, but but it really showed that championship mentality that you need from a team that's trying to chase down 40-0. They had been tested in the regular season. They certainly fell back on that experience. And I think that what they showed in those last five minutes gave me more confidence in them, to tell you the truth, because it showed that they can find that next gear, that 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 thing that champions have. You know, like when when the guy has the ball with a minute left, yeah, and you just know the shot's going to go in. I think Kentucky has a little bit of that magic, and they certainly were very impressive for that last five minutes, going toe to toe with with a team that had nothing to lose and was playing fearless. Absolutely, I I mean the Harrison twins were combined two for nine, but. They were they were probably the ones that 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 came up big at the end, knocking down the two free throws, and then one of them made a, a three pointer also to I think that tied it or took the lead late in the game. But uh, yeah, it's just those I things, believe you know? it was the 
I believe the three gave them a one point lead, mm-hmm. and then the free throws obviously won them the game. Yeah, but it's just you know they they were having awful nights shooting the ball and just not doing any any anybody not named Willie Cauley Stein on the Kentucky floor. I mean, sorry, Carl Anthony Towns. I get I get those hyphenated names confused and mixed up sometimes. It's the Dash Brothers. Yeah, <laughs> but Carl Anthony Towns had a fantastic offensive game. But oh, at, at the end, he he was nowhere to be found. He was on the bench for a little bit near the end, and uh, he was also in foul trouble. That that that's part of the reason why true. he was on the bench. Very true. But best player in the game, <laughs> you got to get that guy out there. Um, yeah, but everyone else was struggling, but they came up big and and they found a way to win. And I think that was the most impressive thing about it: the combination of Grant, Vasturia, and August. They were they were making lots of shots, lots lots of clutch shots, and. I, I thought they were gonna win it, but Kentucky Kentucky pulled it out. Uh, I n- I noticed Notre Dame missed three free throws in the last five minutes, and that kind of stung me. When they started to miss them, I, I was like, guys, you you need every point you can get, and it turned out to bite them. But I mean, you're gonna get some misses on the free throw line. Another big uh, big factor was Demetrius Jackson for Notre Dame. In the Sweet 16, he dropped 20 points on 70% shooting and connected on four or five from three. But then, you know, against uh, Kentucky, he only scored two points. Right. So he definitely was a big reason why Notre Dame. I mean, you know, he, they could have, Notre Dame definitely could have used uh, his scoring output. But to get back to your point about Carl Anthony Towns, he showed why he's a top three NBA pick, and he might even be the number one overall pick. Yeah. 25 points, five rebounds, four assists. As I mentioned, he was in foul trouble towards the end and shot 10 of 13 from the field. The guy was a beast. Notre Dame, though, they didn't really double him all that much. They let their big guys go out on an island and guard their uh, man-to-man. That's probably why Ant- uh, Towns had such a big night. Yeah. But give Notre Dame credit. You know, they, they were not afraid of Kentucky. They certainly played fearless. They drove to the rim and challenged their size. They created good lanes by spacing the floor, even though they didn't hit a lot of threes or they didn't attempt as many threes as they normally do. So give Notre Dame credit. They came with a very strong game plan. They just came up a little bit short. And, and sometimes you just got to accept that. But Absolutely. It, it, the game was just unbelievable. It, it was easily the game of the tournament so far, and the game. I think it's the game of the year in college basketball, pending the Final Four and national championship. Yeah, definitely. So far, I think that was the most exciting game I've, I've watched or read about. Um, do you think the West Virginia blowout had anything to do with Kentucky looking vulnerable, or do you think it was Notre Dame just stepping up? And do you think that going forward, Kentucky is gonna? show more vulnerability or you think this is this was the one chance to to knock them down well first off i mean every time you get deeper in a tournament like this you're facing tougher and tougher competition so right. I, I would say that kentucky's probably going to look more more vulnerable i just think that it's hard to take what happened in one game and apply it to the next west virginia plays a completely different style than notre dame with their pressing and whatnot and that clearly kentucky was taking advantage of that to the tune of just a complete and utter annihilation. I mentioned I covered the games in Cleveland. I actually didn't have to cover that game because we were, you know, our deadline so late. But in hindsight, I probably could have written a story at halftime and it probably could have made the morning edition right <laughs> as it was because that game was down, out, and over at the half. 
I mean, West Virginia was just overmatched. I think it was just a bad matchup. I mean, the round before, Cincinnati played Kentucky very well, even though Kentucky pulled away in the last 10 minutes or so. So I don't think you can take what happens in one game and say that they're definitely going to do this or that in the next round. But certainly I think that the team that they're going to play in Wisconsin has the makeup to challenge them in a similar way Notre Dame did. But first, let's talk about the Badgers coming up huge in a game where the final score shows a seven-point victory, but it certainly was a lot closer than that. And uh, Sam Decker, or should I say Sam Dagger, <laughs> scoring eight of the last nine points with two just show-em-up three-pointers. Yeah. It, it When he hit those, it was one of those, oh, no, oh, yes moments because – they were tough threes, and Absolutely. he just had ice water in his veins when he drilled them in the final two minutes. Yeah, five of six shooting uh, and 12 of 18 overall for, for the Wisconsin from behind the line. That's definitely good numbers for that team. Arizona have five guys in double figures, and you think that that kind of uh, sharing of the ball would, would lead to a victory. But when Kaminsky and Decker put up 29 and 27, respectively, you're, you're find yourselves in a ball game. Um, yeah, I, Arizona, like I, I said, I thought they were the better team. I, I said that in the last two podcasts, but the Badgers definitely showed me something. I think when Sam Decker is playing at that level that he played in this game, Wisconsin is a really hard team to beat when you have two stretch forwards like that and Kaminsky and Decker on the floor at the same time uh, that's something that guys aren't really used to and that gives guys lots of trouble so um yeah for them to go toe-to-toe with kentucky and the and the twin towers that they have in the post with stein and towns that's going to be a great matchup and i'm looking a lot forward to that a lot but yeah this was a really great game uh going back and forth and all that and and wisconsin pulled through and i gotta give you props right now you have a perfect final four prediction you're on the air as predicting those four teams. Um, and I'm not because <laughs> I picked Arizona. So uh, props to you, man. Thank you. Thank you. I wasn't going to say anything, but I, I have been waiting a long time to brag about picking a perfect final four. Let's just say that it's, uh, it's definitely been uh, very enjoyable to, uh, to finally have done it. It's been something I've, I've wanted to do for a while. And uh, I had some struggling years there though. There, I think for three straight years, I didn't pick any of the final four. <laughs> Led me to retire from bracket pooling. So. <laughs> well, you got this Don't one. Don't call right. it a comeback. <laughs> <laughs> but no, anyway, though, back to what Wisconsin, Arizona. Looking at the Arizona sign, you mentioned the five guys in double figures. Obviously, that stings. But Sean Miller, man, what does this guy have to do to get to a final four? He's been the four elite eights. Two straight losses to the Wisconsin at this level of the tournament. And those four Elite Eights include his uh, 2008 trip with Xavier. I mean, this guy has been one of the best coaches for the last five years. Ever since he's arrived at Arizona, he's really gotten that program back to the heights that it was accustomed to. And you kind of feel for the guy a little bit because you know that Arizona wanted this matchup, especially when the brackets came out and they were in the same region and it was probably going to be them for the Elite Eight. You know they wanted this revenge. And it has to sting extra hard for not only Miller to come up short for the fourth time, but for Arizona's season to end at the at the same, hands of the same team. You, you kind of got a feel for that one. I, I think Arizona... Yeah. 
it's going to take a while for them to get over it. Absolutely. Uh, I got the feeling that Arizona was, was performing at a level that definitely could have beat anybody, but Wisconsin just was doing more and they were playing better. And, you know, like you said, Decker just, just went off at the end and just sealed the deal. Um, that's really unfortunate because yeah, like you said, Sean Miller is a, is a great coach and he's, he's created a really good program out there. And I thought this was the year that they were going to finally gain some recognition and turn some heads, but the Badgers, they were just better and they made more big shots late in the game. Yeah. I mean, you know, Decker five of six from three point range, eight of 11 from the field. If he plays that way against Kentucky, Kentucky's going to have the hands full because Kaminsky, 10 of 12 from the free throw line, 29 points. You got, as you said, two stretch fours and Kaminsky, a seven footer, who are going to stretch Wisconsin, or excuse me, Kentucky in ways that Notre Dame couldn't because while they had those four guards stretched the floor, they weren't very big. Yeah. But Wisconsin's a big team that can shoot. That's going to be a whole different animal. And given the struggles Kentucky had, when a team spaces the floor the way they did, that that matchup's going to be a fun one in the final four. I, I would not be surprised if Wisconsin pulled the upset. But I, I guess we can talk about that a little bit later. Let's go into the only overtime game of the Elite Eight and what was a slugfest. I mean, these teams... Did not hold anything back. No. It felt like any every time someone went into the paint, someone was hitting the deck really hard. Louisville and Michigan State, uh, probably two of the best co- two of the best coaches in the Elite Eight, maybe two of the three if you count Coach K in Patino and Izzo. A very good coaching matchup, and it shows. I mean, a four seed, a seven seed. I had Louisville losing in the first round after they beat snuck by UC Irvine. They turned into a team that looked like they could win the national championship. Michigan State, I thought, was disrespected by the committee. Seven seed, way too low for them. As as you all know, I picked them to go to the Final Four. But this matchup was great. I mean, it was just a slugfest. Good guard, quick guards and big bruising post players and intense down the stretch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, back and forth the whole game. Uh, you know, Michigan State had the lead, then Louisville had the lead, then Michigan State came back took the lead and then Louisville tied it up and then Michigan State just pulled it out at the end in overtime we talked last uh, last episode about how what Louisville Cardinals team is going to show up each game and they continued in the Sweet 16 they definitely continued to play at a high level and 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 make a run through the tournament but I felt like they started to revert back a little bit in this game as Terry Rozier the guy that we were giving props to being from our high school had he was stuffing the stat sheet for sure lots of rebounds steals and assists but six of 23 shooting and in the tournament in the last game i know a lot of desperation shots and all that but well first off i'm going to stop you right there because i actually think terry rogier was the lone bright spot for the cardinals in the second half he had three of those four steals in the second half that led to six easy points let me break this down for you Louisville didn't score a non-Rogier field goal until 3.38 left in the game. So Rogier gets three steals. Two of them were great. One of them was just a televised dumb pass in the backcourt. That was Louisville's field goal. Rogier steals, leading to easy layups in the second half. And you're right. They did revert back. 
The first half they played great. They had a eight point lead in the first half. Then they only scored three field goals through about the first 16 and change. That's just unacceptable. That's why you lost the game right there. You can't go more than 16 minutes and only have one guy score. And to tell you the truth, I mean, I'm not taking away anything from his defensive plays, but the only field goals were off those steals and they were, you know, in transition, easy layups. In the half court offense and their offensive sets, they weren't getting anything. Nothing. Nothing at all. The only points they were scoring was from the free throw line, which was another big difference in the game. Michigan State was as hailed as and is an atrocious free throw shooting team. They went 15 of 20, Louisville 20 of 29, including one that could have won it. I cannot pronounce this guy's name. I believe it's Mangok. He split a pair down the stretch, oh, yeah. tied it at 65, and then missed the other one. Right. But Marvin Clark uh, Jr. left the, left the door open. He had a uh, Given Michigan State a one-point lead, but break two free throws to set up uh, Mangok's uh, split. He sent it to overtime, but he could have won it with that other free throw. Free throw shooting was big, but I, I did think Rogier was the lone bright spot. But I agree with you. He was he was not good offensively. No one was good offensively for yeah. Louisville, and that was the Jekyll and Hydeness of the Cardinals. The Cardinals in that for that 16-minute stretch reverted back to the Cardinals that played against Cleveland State, barely breaking 40, and that's why they're bounced from the tournament. But but I agree, for for three games and a half, they looked like they could win the national title. Absolutely. So what 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 clicked with the Michigan State Spartans? Like you you had them in the final four, but they definitely they were a seventh seed. So what what was it that sparked it? I mean, it seems to me that it's kind of nine guys coming together and, and playing really meaningful basketball together, coached by one of the best coaches. Um is there a key player, or like, what are they doing something different? Well, first off, uh, Trice and Valentine, excellent, excellent guards. I think that they are they're a big reason for their turnaround. They they you watch them play; they can attack. Valentine is a guard who can handle the ball well and has size. Yeah, he's so a big guy. they create they create matchups. Bryn Forbes also a very very good uh, threat from three point range. So they've got a nice little guard combination, but another guy who's underrated, and I really hope I'm saying his name right, Costello, he seems to be active in the post. He moves well off screens. He's there for putbacks. They have a nice little scrappy post rotation, and and I do think that Tom Izzo has this team peaking at the right time. But, but to answer your question, what I saw in them, I saw those guards really step up in the Big Ten tournament, and I thought you know what, this team seems to be clicking on all cylinders with Valentine, Trice, and Forbes. I just, I saw a team that was peaking. I saw a team in an easy region, as we've said over and over again. I thought Villanova and Virginia were the two weakest of the ones and two seeds. Right. I just thought that this team was peaking at the right time, well coached, and had a couple of guards who could really break down the opponent's defenses. And, you know, lead them to the promised land and, and they did they they made me look like a bit of a genius here but but yeah i mean you know we, we've also talked about how conference tournament performance is a little fluctuating but michigan state definitely showed me something in that big 10 tournament all right just i'm just trying to get in the mind of the master of the, of the bracket this year <laughs> well i mean let, let's also be real here i mean like i said it, it's been a long time coming for this um i'm certainly on cloud nine but 
And what, what, I, what better year to do it than when you're making a podcast and, and exactly, and I put it, I, I, I put it out for the world to see and hear and everything. And, and I get the final four. So it's, it's pretty sweet. Yeah. Shout out to that East region for just being the most entertaining overall, you know, Villanova losing to NC state, NC state having a great run that ended to with a loss to Louisville in the sweet 16, Dayton beating Providence, Michigan state beating Virginia in the second round. Uh, that's just really entertaining. Northern Iowa losing uh, really quickly when someone had them in their final four. <laughs> hey man, that was a good pick. I had them in the elite eight. That was a good pick. And let's nobody talks about Oklahoma. Oklahoma's got to uh, yeah. feel so bad, but uh, they played a great game against Michigan State. Who Michigan State again hit a bunch of free throws down the stretch to ice that one. So the Spartans struggle from the free throw shoot line. I think that will be their downfall eventually. But over the last couple of games, they've uh, they've definitely stepped up. Absolutely. So we got one more game to talk about. The last game that happened today, uh, Duke versus Gonzaga. It was a lot closer than what that final score suggested, I thought. Oh, no, certainly. I mean, it, Duke was not 14 points better than Gonzaga. It was a lot closer. But do you realize Duke did not allow a Gonzaga field goal? For the final 639 to play and at the time of Gonzaga's last field goal they were down 53 to 50 and they lost 66 to 52 only two free throws the rest of the way yeah well that that is suffocating defense they had a they had a clear layup at like right under the basket that would have tied up the game 53 all I believe and he just missed it like no nobody blocked it or teed up on him. Do you know what I'm talking about? It was like, yeah, no, I remember that play. He had he had a clear layup and he just completely whipped it. And then it's just they they stopped making basketball, <laughs> making buckets, and and Justice Winslow really just took over the game after that, uh, yeah. drawing free throws, making three pointers. Uh, I I gave a shout out to him last game. He's still one of my favorite player to watch just play because he does a little bit of everything. He's six six, super athletic. And, yeah, he really just imposed his will at the end, knocking down free throws, drawing fouls. Uh, yeah, Duke Duke uh, did what we thought they would do, I would say. Yeah, this was the game that I felt most confident about, and you stole my thunder with Winslow. He was a beast. Hit that big three-pointer with 252 left, and that pushed Duke's lead to five points at 60-51. I felt at that point the game was over. He had 16 points and five rebounds tied for a team high. But let's give shout-outs to Tyus Jones, Matt Jones, and Quinn Cook, all scoring in double figures. And I think that's made possible by the presence of Jaleel Okafor. He didn't have a yeah. big stat-stuffing game. But let's just be real. Gonzaga rotates in three really big guys. There's no doubt he had his hands full in the post. He still scored nine boy- points and grabbed eight rebounds. But let's just be real. His presence opened things up. For Winslow, Jones, Jones, the Jones brothers, I guess, and Quinn <laughs> Cook to operate. And that got, again, we're talking about possible threats to Kentucky. You look at Okafor in the middle, Winslow and X Factor, and those dynamic guards who can light it up from downtown. That's going to be some spacing problems for Kentucky as well. This road for Kentucky is not getting any easier. Yeah, They're going to face two teams who are just like Notre Dame. They can shoot the three real well. They can space the four real well. The only difference is they actually have big guys, multiple big guys, who can go toe-to-toe with Kentucky's length. Absolutely. I, I, I don't think Michigan State is going to beat Duke, but 
I mean, they, they could. I, I think Kentucky would be doing cartwheels if they had to face Michigan State in, this, in the final. I don't think yeah. that'll be a good game. No. But it, it's going to be tough sledding for Kentucky not to get away from Gonzaga at all. But the game was pretty straightforward. I, I agree with you. It was a lot closer than, than the final would indicate, but it still was the most decisive of the four games this weekend. Yeah. Um, but before we move on here, I want to give a huge shout-out to Mark Few, who I believe is one of the most underrated coaches in the nation. 16 years, 16 straight NCAA tournament appearances. They got to the Elite Eight in 1999 under Dan Monson. Few took over the next year. Prior to Mark Few taking over, Gonzaga went to the NCAA tournament in 1995 and 1999. That's it. He's got 16 of their 18 tournament appearances, five in this, five times this week 16, finally getting over that hump. Getting to the Elite Eight as a head coach. He was an assistant on that 99 team. And under his run, they've won the conference tournament 12 times and the conference regular season 14 times out of 16 years. This guy's a beast. Gonzaga, he has turned Gonzaga from a team on the rise to a superpower out west. He deserves more credit than he gets, and it's good. it was good to see him finally get to the Elite Eight, even though... His team fell short. They, they've lost to a better team. Duke was a better team. I think you and I have been saying all along that Duke is the second best team in the nation. So there's no shame in the loss, but he deserves, he deserves a little love. And so Mark Few, congratulations. Certainly, yeah. Uh, Gonzaga always seems to be there, and and they seem to, to be gaining more and more national attention and, and traction and, and getting better, better players. So hopefully they finally break through and then they can, can finally – make their mark on the final four and the tournament um yeah good good for him good that was a good shout out thanks thanks for doing that one <laughs> yeah man dude gonzaga may play in a mid-major conference they're no longer a cinderella they are a, they are a powerhouse now they they've gone from being the cute darling maybe in the late 90s early 2000s they were cute darlings but as you said they're they're a powerhouse now and that's that's all because of mark few i mean he inherited a team that went to the Elite Eight, but you don't dominate for 16 years like that without a great head coach. Yeah. And Mark View is one of the best in the nation. I don't think he gets mentioned in the top 10 very often. I think he's a top five head coach in college basketball. I certainly think he's one of the best coaches out there. Yeah, definitely. I think anybody would, would want that consistency in their program. So, yeah, good for him. Another good showing. And hopefully they, they come back next year and they can advance even further. But uh, looking at the final four, so we have three one seeds and a seventh seed. Kentucky and Duke are both there. So our finals pick is still intact. Um, which game appeals to you more? Well, I think it uh, goes without saying. I'm very appeal. The, the Wisconsin-Kentucky matchup is all sorts of appealing. First off, you yes. got the undefeated team that looked vulnerable. They struggled when a team could space the floor, and Wisconsin can space the floor better than Notre Dame can only because of the guys they can space it with. They can challenge Kentucky's long defenders to guard on the perimeter. It's going to be tough. Kentucky certainly struggled with having that spacing, but now they have to struggle with the size of these guys spacing them as well. I think this is going to be the toughest test for Kentucky all year. I think Wisconsin certainly could beat them. I'm not going to pick them because I'm I'm not going away from my pick. Uh, you know we've we've wanted this Duke Kentucky matchup for a long time now. 
But I think Kentucky-Wisconsin is going to be just as good, and it'll be a nice appetizer if Kentucky wins. And, and if Wisconsin wins, I think Wisconsin-Duke would be a good matchup. I know right here I'm kind of writing off Michigan State a little bit, but I think that they are the overwhelming underdog of these four teams. Yeah, I mean, the seventh seed going up against three one seeds, they have to be the underdog. I agree with you. I think the final four games tend to be more electric than the championship game itself. And so I think you have a, a better chance of Decker and Kaminsky staying hot, making really big shots in the final four against Kentucky than you would say Duke against Kentucky in the championship game. So coming off of that Notre Dame law or that Notre Dame win, that near loss to Notre Dame, uh, yeah, Kentucky looks vulnerable. There's always the chance that this makes Kentucky so mad that they just dominate. And they certainly have the talent and ability to steamroll any team in the nation. Uh, but that being said, Wisconsin is certainly talented enough to go toe-to-toe with them if they bring their A game. So hopefully Kentucky isn't too mad and we get a really good game. And I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be close, but I'm definitely not ruling out the possibility of Kentucky just reasserting themselves as the most talented team we've seen in the last 20 years or so. But yeah, I'm looking forward to that matchup, especially if Decker can continue that hot shooting at the th- uh, behind the three-point line. It's going to be a good game for sure. Yeah, and to break it down a little bit, first off, I'm not going to underestimate Kentucky's ability to just make an opponent look silly. If can if Wisconsin's off even by a little bit, Kentucky's going to roll them. But um, I don't think Wisconsin's going to be off. They've impressed me too in this tournament. I mean, they had to go through the toughest region by far of the four, mm-hmm. beating Oregon in the second round, North Carolina a team they almost lost to in the Sweet 16, and then of course Arizona, another team that went toe to toe with them. So they've been battle tested better than anyone at least in my opinion. I, I just don't see Wisconsin laying an egg. I think that, like Arizona, Wisconsin has wanted this rematch since last year because Kentucky knocked them off by one point in the Final Four right. of 2014. So I don't see Wisconsin laying an egg. I think it's going to be a great game. The game I am confident will not be very compelling is Michigan State-Duke. A, I think Duke can do everything Michigan State can do, only better. I think their big guys are better, and I think they can hit free throws. And I just think at some point the horrendous free throw shooting of Michigan State is going to come back to bite them. I think it will in the Final Four. I would be shocked if Duke doesn't get to the national title, and I think if Duke gets to the national title, we're going to have a great national title matchup no matter which team they face. Definitely. Um I think just the combination of Okafor and Winslow are going to provide tons of issues for Michigan State. And you see, you saw in the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight, teams constantly doubling up on Okafor. That just leaves those guys wide open for shots all game long. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be a, a the easier of the two matchups. That being said, you got Tom Izzo. You have a team that has is as battle-tested as, as any of these teams. They've been through a lot. They knocked off Virginia just knocked off Louisville, um, beat Oklahoma as well. So that's a three seed, a four seed, and a two seed to get to this point. They, they, I mean, there's no reason they, they couldn't beat Duke. But, yeah, Duke is just too talented, and I, I think the magic's going to co- run out, and uh, we're going to have Duke in the finals for sure. And we'll see what happens with that Kentucky and Wisconsin matchup. 
Yeah, you bring up a good point. Virginia and Louisville were both in Duke's conference, Virginia winning Duke's conference, so they did beat both of those teams. But I also think that the scheduling, you got to look at that a little bit. There are 15 teams in the ACC. Duke played a little tougher conference schedule, so that plays into it a little bit as well. And certainly, I think Michigan State has some talent. I mean, I just mentioned, you know, Trice and Valentine. Valentine's going to be a matchup problem for anyone. Trice can hit the three real well. They can do everything Duke does. Duke just has better players. I just think Duke does everything Michigan State does, only better. And I think Justice Winslow is once again going to be the X factor because I don't see anyone on on Michigan State who can match up with him on either end of the floor. And I'm sick and tired of people saying Jalea Okafor has an off game. Yes, statistically he had an off game, but let's just be real. The guy is the number one pick, or projected number one pick yeah. in the NBA draft. You don't think his presence is opening things up for these guards who are getting good looks at the basket? Come on, people. Jalea Okafor is a beast. Yeah, he only had 9-8 and eight against Gonzaga. It was a second straight game without getting double figures, but it's not all about points. His presence just makes things so much easier for everyone. And when you got a guy like Justin Winslow playing off that, it's going to be very tough to stop. For sure. Yeah, I mean, th- this past weekend, whenever Okafor touched the ball, two guys were on him. They weren't. It wasn't like a soft double team or an eventual double team. Is the instant the ball came, got in his hands, two guys were on him. And it's hard for anybody to, to put up lots of points when that happens to you. I'm, I'm just excited for that Okafor um Anthony Towns matchup that we could have in the finals, the potential one and two picks in the draft going against each other. I think that's what everybody wants to see is Duke versus Kentucky. Well, I mean, on so many levels, you got the Duke-Kentucky history. You've got probably the top two picks in the NBA draft. Maybe even a number three pick in the NBA draft. Who knows? With all the guys Kentucky has, someone could climb up to number three. It wouldn't shock me. Yeah. But... You got that. You've got two similarly styled starting fives and X Factor and Justice Winslow, and then another X Factor and Cully Stein. I mean, that's the matchup that's just going to be so compelling if it materializes. And I got to stress the if because Wisconsin matches up just as well. I mean, Wisconsin can go toe to toe with either of those teams. And I just think as long as Duke beat Michigan State, we're going to get two good games. We're going to get Kentucky, Wisconsin, and the winner of that taken on Duke. I just I can't see either of those games being blowouts because I think all those are the three best teams in the nation right now. And Michigan State, props to the Big Ten for getting two teams in the Final Four, but I think Michigan State, I just can't see them beating Duke. I, I really, I, that would be the biggest surprise for me is if Michigan State beat Duke. Absolutely. So we've been on record the past two weeks. Our finals matchup is the same, Kentucky versus Duke. Kentucky winning it all. Uh, Last chance to deviate from that. I'm sticking with it. What are you saying? No way, man. You don't don't get off the train this close to the (laughs) stop, man. Come on. I mean, I I think they are going to go 40-0. I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't more worried now than I was before. I am a little worried only because... The way Notre Dame plays, Wisconsin and Duke can do that too, and they've got bigger guys who can do it. But I think Kentucky has so much talent, and their depth is the X factor. I think that they can wear people down on the end of the game. It's no coincidence that they sort of escape these things in the last five minutes. The fact that they roll out nine guys might have a little something to do with that. Absolutely, especially compared to Duke, which plays essentially a six-man rotation. So that has some definitely something to, to look at in these next two games for sure. Yeah. 
Hey man, our last bonus edition, it's going to be fun to recap this. I think I think we're going to get two good games because I think Duke's going to get Michigan State and I think we're going to get two good games. But hey man, they don't call it March Madness for nothing. It's anything can happen. Certainly. All right, man, we've covered a ton of ground here. I think we brought it strong. I'm on cloud nine with the final four. <laughs> so thank you all for listening and supporting us. And shame on you if you didn't take my advice in the Selection Sunday special. Maybe Maybe next year you guys will learn from your mistakes if you're still listening to this little thing but we do appreciate your support please follow us at fenleyroadsports.com and on twitter at fenleyrdsports please subscribe to our podcast via itunes continue to support us and if you want a little taste of baseball don't miss our regular episode of the week where we break down the national league divisions and reveal the first half of our world series pick in our two-part epic baseball preview. Opening day is on the horizon. So please, come back to FenleyRoadSports.com, iTunes, subscribe, support. We thank you for all your for your listenership, and we thank you for all your help. And uh, Bob, I'll uh, talk to you again soon, man. Absolutely. See you, Chris. I know. Take it easy.